Hey, it's your host, Abigail Pumphrey, and I'm on a personal mission to help more small business owners become financially free. I like to nerd out on all things business, marketing, and most definitely the numbers. I'm talking all the lessons learned as I turned a layoff into a seven-figure online business. I like to share it all and no conversation is off the table. We talk actionable strategies, biz challenges, and all the things life throws your way. Grief, anxiety, loss, and resilience are all topics you'll find here. So grab a cup of coffee and settle in because you're listening to the Strategy Hour podcast brought to you by Boss Project. Have you ever absolutely panicked after you accidentally deleted a file on your computer? I know I have. It's not an issue if you've got Crash Plan Smart Recovery. Your files are just a few clicks away and can be restored in a snap. Crash Plan provides the best cloud backup solutions in the market. Visit CrashPlan.com slash BossProject for 50% off your first year of CrashPlan. Now you can protect all your work with an unlimited backup and recovery solution. CrashPlan makes it simple to restore some or all of your data. And with unlimited version retention, CrashPlan can be your ultimate rewind button. Get unlimited computer backup for you or your business with CrashPlan Professional. CrashPlan backs up files that live on your computer and works with PC, Mac, and Linux. Don't let data disasters slow you down. CrashPlan has your back and keeps you moving. Go to CrashPlan.com slash BossProject for 50% off your first year of CrashPlan. That's CrashPlan.com slash BossProject for 50% off your first year. Back up better with CrashPlan. Hey guys, we're super excited to bring you our friend, Danielle. She is a partner over at Hashtag Legal, and she focuses on legal issues for online business owners. We are super excited to have her on the show today. We talked all about business formation, contracts, website policies, intellectual property, copyrights, trademarks, and she may have even scared our pants off about some things we haven't done inside our own business. So regardless of where you are in your business, just getting started, or perhaps you have your own multiple six-figure business, get ready because I promise you're going to learn something today. Today on the podcast, we have Danielle Liss of Hashtag Legal. Welcome to the show, Danielle. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Awesome. We are pumped to have you on the show. We have people of every shape and size business and definitely a lot of people who are hesitating even calling themselves business owners. And so to jump in at the very beginning, I really want to talk about that idea of being a business and where do you start in being a business and how do you form a business and how do you know which type of business structure you should be legally? Especially if you're not making any money. Of course. I think for a lot of people, that tends to be the definitive line. You'll see so much conversation from people. Do I need to be a corporation? Do I need to be an LLC? Can I just be a sole proprietor? tell me what to do. Mm-hmm. And there's always this look of panic in people's eyes. And I fully understand it because if you're just starting out, this the legal side of your business can seem so incredibly daunting, especially if you aren't making money yet, because you can find an opinion on everything on the internet. So the question is, which one do you want to do? So there's really three main types of business structure. First, you're going to have sole proprietors, which that is, I could decide right now, I'm going to be a business doing 
X. And you don't necessarily have to do a lot. You may have to get a business license in your county, depending upon what kind of business you're in. And depending upon what name you're going to use, you may also need to file for what may be called a DBA or a fictitious firm name, depending on where you live, just so that you have your name registered. But without filing any paperwork with the Secretary of State, without really doing anything, you can be a sole proprietor. And the big thing to remember there, all sole proprietors are going to be personally liable for anything that happens with their business. What we usually tell people is if you aren't ready to set up an LLC or a corporation when you're starting out, if you don't want to make that investment until you know a little bit more about what your financial outlook is going to be, then you can start out as a sole proprietor and then you can always upgrade it after the fact to a different type of entity. Because once you're making money, you want to make sure that you're personally protected. You want liability protection because if you don't have that, your personal assets can really come into play. And that's where I think the biggest thing to remember is when you're looking at entity types, do you want your personal assets to potentially be in jeopardy if something happens? So if you get sued, they can come after your house, your savings, your car, all the things that no one wants to lose, right? So you want to make sure that you're protected there. So the two main types are going to be corporations and LLCs. For an LLC, I honestly think LLCs tend to be the easiest for most small business owners. They give you all of the liability protection, but there's not quite so many formalities that you have to follow. Like with a corporation, you have to name a board of directors, you have to hold annual meetings, there's additional filings that you have to submit. So it can be a little bit more complicated. What I usually tell people to use as kind of a test to see which one is going to be better for them is, do you plan to eventually seek venture funding or investors. Mm -hmm. Because if you do, most of the time, you're going to want the ability to issue shares of stock. Then you're going to want to go with a corporation. If you do not need that ability, then an LLC is probably going to give you the coverage that you need with a little bit less work on your end. So you don't have to do that board of directors in most cases. Well, and I would think that an LLC would make sense for someone, even if they're at the beginning, if depending on the type of work that they do. So like if you're a wedding planner or a photographer or like you're working really closely with clients and you're like responsible for like potentially them getting hurt while they're in your care. So to have some sort of ability to get that protection for yourself. So it might seem weird to do it when you're new, but to kind of depending on what your business is, it might be something you need to look for. I think that's really a good thing to look at as well is what type of business are you in and what kind of risk are you potentially going to be in for that kind of business? What you said for like a wedding planner, oh my goodness, yes. Because can you imagine if something goes wrong, that's one of the most important times of somebody's life and you don't Mm want to be, even though it's something you deal with day to day, that's something that's not going to be taken well (laughs) if there's a big problem. So you want to make sure you've got protection there for sure. And I think that as soon as you are starting to make money, so when you have those clients that you're, you know, entering into contracts with and taking money from them, that's when you really want to start to look at, okay, what type of entity makes the most sense Mm -hmm. and kind of get that moving sooner rather than later, because it's, most of the time, people don't want to deal with the setup because it's it costs money, of course, right. but also there's just stuff you have to do. And most people don't want to add that administrative stuff to the list. Like, I got to change over all my bank accounts. I got to change over all my other stuff. But most of the time, other than depending on how long it takes you to go into your bank and set up an account, it 
you might be looking at an hour or two time investment. And then once it's done, it's done. You don't really have to do most of it a second time. Yeah, this was something we put off for a really long time. And when we finally did it, we're like, oh, that was the easiest thing that we ever did. Like changing the time. You thought it was easy. (laughs) You did not do anything, Emily. There was a lot of research where we should pay to actually do the LLC. I did that part. That and, and by that I mean I asked someone to do it for me and then gave you the information. The the actual business formation wasn't hard. We ended up going from a sole proprietorship to an LLC S corp mm-hmm. because we had enough money being made at the time that it was actually a tax savings to kind of basically make a pretty reasonable jump. Most people don't go from sole proprietorship to S corp that quickly. And the reason it was complicated, honestly, was setting up payroll, not because we were setting up the LLC itself. That was wasn't terrible. I want to know more about and this is kind of for my guilty pleasure, but I feel like it gets like brought up a lot. So like, okay, if we form an LLC, and like, it's Think Creative Collective LLC. Like, talk to me about like what the umbrella of an LLC means. And like, if we want to start a kind of different channel of a business, like, can it be protected under that LLC? Do we need to be doing things differently if we ever think we want to branch off and add things under like what is TCC? Or do we need to have like 10 different LLCs? I'm going to give you the worst lawyer answer ever. It depends, maybe. Yeah, Yeah, but those are like the things nobody ever wants to hear out of the lawyer's mouth. (laughs) But it depends. It truly does on how you want to be structured. There are times when if you're starting something new for your business, you want that to be a standalone. You don't want that to make or break the rest of your businesses. You want to have separate investments, separate income. In that case, you're going to want to do an LLC for that business on its own. But if everything is kind of still part of the same business, it's just a different arm of that Mm -hmm. business. A lot of times we'll see people do everything under one. I have so many folks who start out as bloggers who then I think we all know that for many people, blogging is just one piece of their business. So they'll start out with a blog, but then they may move into coaching and consulting. They may move into design work. They may move into freelance work. And that's all something that can go under that LLC as long as they want to treat it all as one business. Gotcha. That makes sense. So let's talk about other ways to protect yourself and your business. I know for a lot of people, contracts are something they know they need. And oftentimes, they'll even try to seek it out. They'll write some of the things down. But what what parts of a contract are important? What sort of things should people be putting in there? And who needs contracts? If you're Exchanging money, you need a contract. So if there is money going back and forth, which if we are at this point, we're talking about it, that's probably happening. And Mm -hmm. what way too frequently happens is because the online business space is such a cooperative arena. I think so many people are like, I'm going to do it with no contract. I'm friends with this person. It's cool. And I'm always like, please get a contract. Please get that in writing. Those are the ones that I see like go wrong so quickly. But this could be something. There's a lot of different people 
as a small business that you could be contracting with. So it may be your clients if you are in a service-based business. It could be your contractors if you have people working with you. It could be something like another type of contractor would be a VA who is doing work for you or vendors, depending upon what type of work you're doing. So the key is to have contracts that work for those different relationships. The contract that I'm going to give to my VA is going to be different than the contract that I give to my clients. So you want to make sure that you've got the right kind of coverage for what you're doing. What I always say the most absolutely critical pieces to have covered are the payment. You need to know how you're getting paid, when you're getting paid, and what you have to do to get paid. (laughs) And that seems like such a small thing, but And depending on the type of clients you work with, it may be something that you trigger getting a payment by sending an invoice. But if you're working with a large company with all kinds of moving parts, you may have to get a purchase order approved before you can submit an invoice and then list that PO number on your invoice. So you need to make sure you know what steps you have to follow in order to get paid. One of the most common things that I hear is... I have this client and they have not paid me yet and I am mm-hmm. freaking out because they are late. I read that at least once a day. On Every Facebook. day in yeah. Facebook groups. And my number one question is always the same and everybody gets mad. What's your contract say? Mm-hmm. I didn't have a contract. So we're, we're moving past that part. What we want to make sure is that your contract is specific as to when that payment's due. And this may seem silly, but it's so frequently that you're going to get an invoice. Okay. Cool. When does the money come in? Because that's really important for any level business owner because you have to be able to plan your income, right? So what I want to say here is make sure it's noted after that invoice goes out or whatever the triggering event to get your payment is, how many days do they have to pay you? Because, And you may see this if you're not familiar with invoicing terms. It may say net 15, net 30, net 60. That means they have that many days to pay you from the time they get that invoice. So if you're slow to invoice and you've already taken 30 days to get your invoice out, they may still have 30 to 60 days left to pay you. So you need to know in terms of when your income is going to come in for your business planning purposes. And then just make sure you know how you can get paid. So if they're only willing to send you a a check, know that. If it's going to come through PayPal and you're potentially going to have fees that you you know take a, a slight hit on, know that. So just know how you're getting paid. The next piece, and I think this is really important for people who have ongoing contracts, like for multi-month or just longer service contracts, is a termination provision. Mm-hmm. If either party needs to get out of that contract what needs to be done, and what happens in terms of payment. So most of the time you'll see either party can terminate the contract upon seven days written notice. Perfect. So you know what has to be done. Next, what happens to the money? Is the money only paid if the contract is completed? Or do you get paid for whatever piece of the services is done at the time of the termination? So it can go a lot of different ways. I've seen them phrased just about every way you can imagine. Just make sure you know what it is. What it means. Yeah. Yes. Because if something happens and that contract gets canceled, you really do need to know like, oh my gosh, did I just spend three months working on this and I'm not going to see a dime. Like that's, that's a decision you have to make when you're signing is, is this something that I should try to negotiate more. The next one is confidentiality. You always need to know. And usually you might see something that's like three pages that's like this really full and detailed non-disclosure. And you may see a paragraph that says everything in this agreement is protected. Know what you can talk about. 
Because mm-hmm. so frequently I see people talking about client details in Facebook groups. Just be careful. Mm-hmm. There is You never want to be caught breaching a contract for something as simple as confidentiality. And if you're not sure, I know this will seem so basic, but just ask. Ask yeah. and say, am I allowed to talk about this? Am I allowed to disclose this publicly or is this confidential? It is... If you're not sure, just check in with them first. It's like the most important aspect. Depending upon what kind of work you do, and especially because I know we're talking to a lot of creative entrepreneurs, Mm -hmm. you need to know who owns what. At the end of the day, who owns what you're creating? So if you are a graphic designer, this is probably one of the absolute most important parts of your contract. So for most graphic designers, Whenever you're creating something, you're going to have the copyright to that. So if at the end of the day, your client is going to own it, you need to then assign those rights to them. But at what point in time do those rights get assigned? So is it upon receipt of the final payment? Is it upon approval? Is it a separate piece of paperwork that has to be executed? Just kind of keep in mind what you need to do in order to kind of finish that out. The other piece, especially I'll throw this in for our designers, is if you are doing design work, what happens to drafts and various iterations mm-hmm. and ideas that weren't accepted? Mm-hmm. That's so what I usually tell people is say, you know, what you're getting at the end of the contract is the final approved draft. You don't mm-hmm. get to use my five other ideas that I sent you that you didn't take. So just make sure it's clear as to who owns what. I had that clear in my contract as a photographer that they don't get unedited images because I didn't want the work that I hadn't perfected out there in the Mm -hmm. world for them to use however they wanted. They only got final images. So that's a good point. I think it's really important to make sure that that's clear because that is, I think for the graphic designers I've worked with, that's probably the number one thing Mm -hmm. that gets questioned is what happens to this draft that I did at the very beginning that they're now claiming is theirs but it's not even done. Oh my gosh. It doesn't even, this is not representative of my skill and my work. It was just a draft. Ah. So that's something we always say, make sure you've got that really specific. So as a business owner, who's hiring a bunch of these contractors, I'm curious, most of these people, and well, all of these people have sent us contracts along the way, but even though they have, should we be sending our own contract back to them? Our own form of agreement? If you have one that you like, absolutely. The one thing that I want you to remember, and I say this to all businesses, and I think it's especially important if you're new, you can negotiate anything that gets handed to you. And that I think is so important. So if you get, if you have your version, but they've already sent you there. So let's say you're hiring a VA. And the VA sends you their version of the contract. and But you want to ensure that there is a provision within the confidentiality that they can't talk about any of your clients and claim that they've done work for your clients just because they've worked for you. So you can go back and add whatever you need to into it if it's a, if there's something in their form that you don't like. So I always say if you have an agreement, great. But if there is a specialty that you're working with and they have a form, a lot of times it's great to go off of their form because it may have different areas that you may not have in a more generalized contractor agreement. So like I said, for the graphic designer, it may have more specifics about that intellectual property provisions. So you can always look at it. But if you don't like something in there, feel free to send it back and say, okay, I have the following changes that I want to make. Don't be afraid to negotiate those contracts. That's helpful. So 
Do you have any tips for lingo or how someone could go about if they have to actually call out a piece in their contract, if a client didn't pay on time, if they're wanting to reference this as not like a scare tactic because it's solid in your contract, do we send that via email? Do you hop on the phone? Like, do you just highlight the portion of that contract and what steps kind of do you take if that even gets ignored? For a non-payment issue, I usually say there's kind of a list of steps that I usually follow. And it depends on how you typically work with that client. Let's assume for most people who are listening that you're kind of in that online space. So let's assume that you're doing email. I usually email the person and say, hey, and I usually started out super friendly. I love how the project went. I loved working with you, blah, blah, blah. I'm just checking in on the status of the payment. It was due on whatever date. Mm -hmm. Can you let me know what's happening? Because you never know. Somebody could have been on vacation. There could have been an emergency. Keep it really friendly because in my view, repeat business is the very best business that you can have. So you want to make sure you're not getting let's say, overly confrontational (laughs) early on in the collection process. If that doesn't work, I usually say, depending upon the company, if there are other people, if you're not dealing with just another solopreneur, then escalate it to include other people and just say, hey, I've been reaching out, but I haven't heard anything. Can you give me an update on this? And I always say there, look for the person who has finance or accounts or something along those lines, operations in their title, and that's the person you want to include still no response, then what you want to do is to start getting a bit firmer. And what you would want to say is, I have tried to contact you on and be very specific. Always keep track of when you've written them and what you asked for, that kind of thing. I have not heard anything. Payment was listed in the contract as being due here. You received your invoice on this date that we are now in arrears by whatever. So those are the types of things I usually just say, it doesn't have to be magic words to get the payment. It just has to be clear that the payment is due, what's been done, and then tell them when you expect to receive payment. Then if you still don't get a response, which happens, that's when it's time to upgrade to the certified letter approach. So make sure that your contracts always have an address where you can send something because then there is zero question that if if you've got that signature card back, that they got that notification from you. Hopefully no one has to go down that route. Oh, I hope not. I've been there. I hope not. I've, I still have yeah. someone who owes me $500, but the, I will never get that $500. It's fine. I've, oh. I've apparently not let it go still, but it's okay. I will say, be knowledgeable of who you are sending this invoice to. Even though people sign these contracts... I have been shocked how many people ignore the dates of when (laughs) things are due. And so depending on the business structure or who the business type you're dealing with, like for instance, I worked with a nonprofit and the person who like signs the checks only comes in like on a certain day of the month because Uh that's just how this nonprofit works. And so even though they signed the form, they just weren't thinking and... So it was just really hard to get paid. They weren't like not trying to pay me or trying to escape from payment, but I needed to get a hold of this accountant that really only worked like one day a month because she was very part-time. And so like (laughs) just be knowledgeable of who these are. And then sometimes the bigger businesses, they may only have a certain day of the month that they schedule to pay all of their invoices so that you might say it's due on a certain day, but they're like, oh, I really only pay invoices on XYZ date, which might be not in line with what you what they agreed to do. 
but they'll just cite that that's how they do business. And so mm-hmm. sometimes you just got to go get an ice cream and <laughs> <laughs> but in those cases at least you've kind of kept it friendly yeah. what i see right. way too often is people get should say a little aggressive yeah. in their tone a little too early on yeah. and it may be exactly what you're saying that it's just some internal thing yeah. where they're like oh you really did mean that you wanted to be paid on receipt of invoice oh gotcha yeah i meant 60 days so sometimes it may be you know just kind of realigning what that payment structure looks like. And if it's a multi-month, you can often, what I've seen people do is offer a discount for a faster pay. So they'll say, if you pay me, if they know that it's going to be a net 60 client, they'll say, if you pay me within 10 days, I'll give you a 2% discount on your invoice. You'd be amazed at how much faster some of those accounts receivable departments can move if there's a discount. (laughs) So (laughs) that's another option for you if it's something you want to try on a multi-month. And notice how she said 2%, not 20. Oh, no, 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 (laughs) no. Usually 2%. 2% is generous. Like yeah. usually I would see 1% to 2%. Max, max, max. Yeah. Yes. Love that. Don't offer <laughs> <laughs> Want to learn exactly step-by-step how to get paid to generate leads in your business? I've kept these details to myself for far too long. I'm ready to spill everything and give you the exact steps that help me generate tens of thousands of qualified leads and millions in low-ticket digital product sales. I won't just show you what I did, but teach you how you can do it too. I'm talking not just how to create low ticket digital products, but also showing you how to use them strategically to generate leads for your other existing or future offers. I'm sharing it all at bossproject.com jumpstart, including exactly how I made $8,033 and generated 277 leads my very first month selling digital products. Find out more at bossproject.com jumpstart. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. With over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. I love that Indeed makes it easy to hire because I'm busy enough already. When we've hired in the past, the process was full of unqualified applicants. With Indeed, we can target the right candidates for the right position. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash strategy hour. Just go to Indeed.com slash strategy hour right now and support our show by seeing you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash strategy hour. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Money issues are a common stressor in any relationship. Monarch Money is the top-rated personal finance app that can get you and your partner on the same page without any extra cost. Monarch has built-in collaboration features, so together you can see your finances, budget, and get insights on your cash flow. It's the easiest way to manage any household finances. I've tried other finance apps in the past, and they didn't work the way I wanted them to. I don't want to stress over finances. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more 
Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com strategy. Monarch has a tool that allows you to easily import your data from Mint and keep all of your tags and categories. Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to get set up, customize, and use. Monarch prioritizes my privacy, and they'll never sell my data to third parties. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com strategy. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash strategy for your extended 30-day free trial. About website policy. Oh, yeah. I feel like this is something that every single person sucks at, us included. <laughs> and so, how, what, why would we even need to have a policy on our website? What does it do and how can we make it happen? There's three key pieces to what you need to have on your website. Number one is going to be kind of those legal terms of use. And that is so that your audience knows how they can use your website. So, what is the biggest thing that I usually include here is if you if you are selling a thing on your website, you want to have your purchase policies in there. You want to have things like, these are all my copyrighted images. And even though I am giving you a plugin where you can pin it, that doesn't mean that you can take it and put it on a mug. You know, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. So how they can use your website. It's a really good place to put comment policies. It gives people, you know, all of that legal information, kind of think of it as your boilerplate legal information, like if something goes wonky on the site and you need to sue me, it's going to happen in this state. And for people who are working in the influencer space, I usually put a disclosure policy in here as well. So yes, I do have sponsored content. Mm-hmm. You know, this is what my FTC policy is. I use affiliate links. This is what my affiliate policy is. Anything along those lines that's going to kind of cover, you know, what you do on the site. The next piece is your privacy policy. I really think that everybody needs to have a privacy policy. So the number one question I get is, I got this free one online. Can I use that? (laughs) Maybe. It depends on your business because the free ones are good as a start. But if you are selling things or you are using tracking pixels or you are doing any other type of, you know, more significant data collection, you want to make sure that you're covered there. So they're usually kind of the starter spot and then get something a little more customized. And really what that should cover is any personal information that you are collecting, how you use it, that's going to be your your really important part, how you store it. And then are you using third parties that are also going to get their information? So does your website process payments using PayPal or Stripe? Who gets their information and how is it being used? So For example, my business uses ConvertKit. So we have a privacy policy, but it will also say we use ConvertKit. So your information is being stored there too, which is also subject to their privacy policy. So we try to give all that information. And then, of course, how you use cookies. And that's typically, I think, for a lot of people in our space going to be yeah, I use this retargeting pixel because let's face it, I'm going to, I, my mom gets called out like every time I talk and she has no idea. And it's basically, my mom will be like, I went to the following cat website to look at something. And now the Facebook is telling me that I should buy the same thing I looked at. Who was watching me? I'm like, oh, that's such a mom comment. I love it. So, so my mom, she's adorable, but like she's my example in everything. And I'm sorry if you're listening, mom. Um, but so it would be like, 
explaining that you are using those types of tracking pixels, I think are really important. So then the third piece that I want to see on your website is disclaimers. And that is the easiest example is if you are doing anything in the fitness space, any type of health coaching. I am not a doctor. And most importantly, I am not your doctor. If you need to take this advice, you need to go see your doctor. And it kind of disclaims your responsibility if something goes bad. But I think for a lot of folks, let's face it, we see a whole lot of coaching happening online now. And you want to make sure that if you are talking about how to make money online, that you're not being held responsible, that I took your advice and and nothing happened. So are you liable for that? Those are future looking statements, which are pretty heavily regulated when we're talking about profits. So you want to make sure you've got the right disclaimers on your site. So what I often do for people is give them one big old legal bit of happy, which they can (laughs) link down at the bottom of their site that has everything all rolled up into one policy so that you don't have to constantly try to change all of them. But that is something where if you are doing business online, if you are collecting a drop of information from people, and that can be something as simple as comments, comments collect personal information. You want to make sure that you have some type of site terms and some type of privacy policy on your site. Well, putting that on the list. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, need to update Immediately. (laughs) Um, No, one thing I was going to mention, I just learned this other day. If you're in the European Union, did you know that if you collect cookies on your website, that you have to not just have a disclaimer in your website policy, but you have to have a giant banner on the top of your website that people have to agree to before Mm -hmm. they enter their site? And that's a really oh, interesting. Some of the sites, like you have to yeah. like literally yep. click. I'm allowing you to uh-huh. do this. And it's been a really interesting when that um, when the EU cookie law was passed. It was really I had a lot of interesting conversations with folks who are U.S. based. They have a U.S. company, but they have a percentage of audience who is in the EU. So what do they need to do? And there are some folks, and I don't if I could design anything, which I can't, I would create a nice little plugin that could basically kind of read the IP and see where it is so that you can only display it to people who are in the EU, just to make sure you're covered. But yeah, it's, there are a lot of privacy restrictions, like California requires privacy policies. So if you have audience in California, what's, let's face it, pretty big state. Most of us want audience in California, right? Then you should have a privacy policy. And a lot of other places, like One of the big ones that we include is Amazon. They used to be associates. Now they've changed it to affiliate program, but they have a specific statement that they require be listed on your website somewhere. And that's something that you can include in your legal terms. And it's, I mean, it is very specific, the language, like you cut and paste it and you pop it in. And I see the look (laughs) on your face. (laughs) I see you. (laughs) But so that's the kind of thing that you can make sure is included. And you can pop that right into your affiliate disclaimer area where you're saying, I use affiliate links. And here's what that means. Like I put a cookie onto your browser. And if you make a purchase, I get some money back. So you can be really clear and then say, and by the way, I am in the affiliate program for Amazon or whatever their required language is. And then, you know, that's, it's definitely the kind of thing where nobody ever, I mean, Amazon affiliates is such a common thing to use in the online space. So you don't want to have your associate status. I'm I'm like slow to get on the fact that they changed the name. You don't want your affiliate status to be revoked because you're not complying with their policies. Well, um, well, 
I should put a major disclaimer that by the time this episode airs, all of this stuff will be correct. <laughs> all, also, we're freaking out right now, but it, it's it's by the time you're all, listening, we will have hired Danielle. We will have <laughs> this policy to comb through our site. <laughs> oh, it's fine, oh guys. Oh my gosh, that's well okay. See, this is just goes to show you, it doesn't matter what stage of business you're in, how much money you make, you, there's still things to be worked on. And there's still things. I mean, we've had many conversations, even with other lawyers. And yet we mm-hmm. still find out stuff all the yeah, time. Here we are. That we're like, oh, <laughs> I didn't know that. And it's not, it's mm-hmm. not because we're not trying to comply with the law. We're just didn't, didn't know. know and we're not we definitely aren't trying to be ignorant because we've done a lot of research to try to make sure we mm-hmm. are doing the right thing so what so is good. it that they all the I feel like the gurus say you don't know what you don't know so you don't know that you've got a problem until no you better do better make the steps through it and I think that one of the biggest frustrations that we hear from our clients is I talked to my like I asked for a lawyer so like my CPA told me to talk to X person and they go to somebody that let's just say may not have experience in the online space and there are definitely different nuances that kind of come along with being in the online space that are quite a bit different than like what your brick and mortar store might have to follow. So it's been really interesting because I'm, my background is in influencer marketing. So I know that space extremely well. And the contracts that you see there, the things that you need to concentrate on like IP and, you know, the different deliverables that can be done, FTC, they are completely different than a lawyer who doesn't have that experience may know. So it's definitely part of it is just finding the the person who speaks your language and kind of just getting a checklist. I can't stress that enough. Like we've, we've talked about, you know, attorneys and, and accountants and bookkeepers. And the bottom line is find someone who knows your industry really well, because you don't want things like flying under the radar just because that person didn't know either. And, And this is one of those. When we started our firm, we went hunting for accountants who knew the online space to give us places, people to refer to, because it really is like, and the number one question you can say is, so let's talk about the deductions that bloggers can take. And if they're like, oh, I have to look into that, then it's like, okay, you're not our person and we're cool. But it was definitely, it was a search. So it can be tricky to find the, those, the right tribe of professionals to work for you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's talk about IP. I want to know more about mm-hmm. intellectual yeah. property. So I think people okay. get really hung up on, well, I made this thing and it's mine. And so I'm automatically the coolest uh-huh. person on the internet and no one else can uh-huh. steal from me. And then yet they go into Facebook groups and they say, so-and-so put this thing in their shop and it is literally copied from me and we are like well do you have a registered copyright or trademark and they just uh, go what uh what (laughs) tell me more about this so talk to us about what is a copyright how do you get a copyright what is a trademark what's the difference what do i need Mm -hmm. to know okay so whenever you hear people talking about 
IP or intellectual property, it really kind of covers three things. So you're going to have patents, copyrights, trademarks. We're not going to talk about patents right now because that's a really specific area of the law. What I think most of the people you will be working with, and hi listeners, all of you, are going to be dealing with is copyright and trademark. So I think it's really important because those two terms often get used somewhat interchangeably and they mean something very different. Mm -hmm. So a copyright is it protects the expression of an idea. And what is protected is how it is expressed. So and I feel like I can I know what you guys are thinking like what? So <laughs> what that means is I let's say I have this idea and I'm like I'm going to make fun of my cats. I have two hairless cats, right? So I am going to be, I'm going to create like the hairless cat lady club logo. Okay. My idea for the hairless cat lady club, that is not anything. That is an idea. I do not have intellectual property rights in an idea. When I create a logo that I'm going to put on four mugs that I will sell because not a whole lot of people are probably going to be buying my cat mug, then that logo and that design, that's what I have the copyright on, is the actual expression of that idea. Now, let's say somehow I turn that idea into this amazing brand <laughs> that I'm going to have all kinds of products that are going to be in the Hairless Crazy Cat Lady Club, right? So then I can get a trademark on that. A trademark distinguishes one brand from another so that there isn't confusion in the marketplace. So if you think the one that I always use as an example is the Nike swoosh. When you mm. see that swoosh, you know that is Nike. No one else, like if Coca-Cola started using that swoosh, you'd be like, why is Coca-Cola trying to be Nike? So the goal there is to make sure that there isn't going to be confusion between brands. And you can trademark a logo or a phrase or a word. So the key to remember is one thing represents your brand and it has to be in the stream of commerce. That's what they look at. It's are you using this to actually put on products, something that is in the stream of commerce. Now, let's go back to copyrights because I think that this is such a hot topic for creatives. When you have copyrights, the way my partner and I always describe this is think about a bundle of sticks right? So when you have copyrights, you have a whole lot of different rights that come along with that, which are your bundle of sticks. You have the right to create derivative works, which is another work that's based off of that original design. You have the right to display. You have the right to perform if it's a song or some type of performance piece. So there's a lot of different rights that come along with having a copyright. You can take that whole bundle of sticks and hand it to somebody, which is called an assignment. So if you give all of your copyright rights to somebody, you have assigned those rights to them. Or you can keep your copyright and say, I'm going to let you use this stick, which is a license. So what we frequently see, so I'll put this in the, in the influencer marketing world. Influencer creates a beautiful piece of branded content, right? So let's say it is original photography that can be used on the social media channels. Influencer retains all of the copyright rights to that work that they created, but then they license the right to display that copyrighted work to the brand who purchased it. 
or who is paying them, essentially. Mm -hmm. So you can give them one right, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they can then create derivative works based off of that. So you can give them as much or as little of your copyright rights as you want. You can give them all but one stick. You can give them all the sticks. It's up to you because those rights are automatically yours. So the other piece of this that comes up so frequently is registration. And what you have to do, what does it mean? As soon as you publish that creative work, that original creative piece, you have copyright rights that are automatic. Those are your common law copyright rights. You can then register that with the copyright office for a fee, and there's an application process that you go through, and you get additional rights. So you can then file an infringement lawsuit as long as you are filed with the copyright office. So can you still send a C and D if you haven't filed? Yes. You, which I'm sorry, I'm going to my lawyer jargon. A C and D is a cease and desist letter. So let's say somebody has literally copied your design and you're like, um, that's not cool. You can then send them a letter that says, Hey, this is my copyrighted work. You need to cease and desist, you know, whatever it is that you are doing. Mm -hmm. So you have those rights intrinsically just by hitting published by doing whatever it is to put that work out into the world. Same thing for a trademark. You automatically have certain rights just by using something in the stream of commerce. You definitely, if you want to make sure that people are on notice that you have those rights, you want to file for your trademark. And it's a process and it's not fast. It takes like a year and a half to oh, go well, through. It's it's not fast at all. So, But when you go through that process, you are listed in the trademark database. So people automatically can search through that and say, you know what? I can't create a design using this phrase or this logo or this word, whatever the case might be, because somebody already has it. So it puts people on notice. So that's something that I strongly recommend if you have a very specific brand that is kind of anchored on either certain phrasing in your designs or whatever the case might be, that you really do look at trademarking because that's something that so frequently, particularly for like with Etsy and things along those lines, what we see is oh, look, this t-shirt's doing really well for somebody else. I'm just going to put something in my own shop that has this. And if you're the person who created that design, you want to make sure that you're covered. Like that's that's your success. Like you're the one who did something amazing there. So make sure that you are protected. And I like there's certain ones. Like I wish I was the person who came up with like Notorious RBG and that design. Right. Like that, oh my gosh, well, that would be uh, amazing, right? <laughs> so, but like there's certain things where make sure that you're kind of the one who's getting credit for those. Yeah. I feel so, like I need to go register like 80 phrases that I've said before. Uh-huh. <laughs> but you have to show that they're in commerce. So if it's not on design and it's not something that's actually being sold in the stream of commerce, then that's where you have to make that. You've got to put it on something essentially. Mm-hmm. But that's kind of how the the intellectual property works. Usually what I tell people, because I know we're kind of talking to a lot of folks who may be earlier in their business, kind of the steps that I usually recommend for people are get your LLC set up first, get your entity structured the way that you need to have it structured. Then next, it depends on what are you doing next? Do you have a website where you're doing a whole lot of stuff? Then you probably are going to want to get your policies really Mm -hmm. buttoned up. Are you working with people for money? Then you're going to want to make sure that your contracts are buttoned up. Then after that, that for most people, maybe when they're going to start looking at their IP is when they are 100% sure that they need certain things to be covered. Or 
if you are not working with clients and you are just a product seller and you're a creative who's you know got a store of products, what may be more important for you is doing a trademark on a phrase that's mm-hmm. heavily featured or doing um, copywriting certain designs. So it it can depend on what you're doing in your business as to what kind of order you want to do those things. Because that's one of the questions I get most frequently is, yep. okay, I did this. What's next? Just tell what's me what's next, next yeah. so I can handle it. <laughs> yeah. I think that was a good talk strategy to me also. So to recap, like if you're feeling overwhelmed and feeling like you're breaking all of the laws or not protecting yourself, like truly just figure out what structure of your business needs to be. Look at your website policies. If you've already got your website up there, figure out what you're doing, especially those affiliate stuff. I know like it's super easy to make an Amazon associate account and then you drop in that affiliate link. And if you don't have that stuff worded somewhere on your site, like (coughs) someone else I know, then you might want to figure that out. Look at your contracts and then go into that intellectual property piece. So that was super helpful. Holy moly. Great. Thank you. And (laughs) we try to make it as easy as possible because let's face it, I think the legal industry gets a kind of a bad rap and let's, I I could blame 9,000 TV shows, but it's the fault of my (laughs) own industry. Like we, it can be something that only seems accessible for very large businesses. And we want to make sure that people at all stages of their business feel comfortable getting the information that they need. Yeah. I love that. So where can they find more information from you and what you guys are putting out there? Absolutely. Thank you. Um, We are, our website is hashtag-legal.com. You can reach me at Danielle at hashtag-legal.com. And we do offer strategy sessions. So if you are just kind of starting out your business and you're like, I don't know what I have to do. You can book time with us to just ask questions and kind of map out what you want to do next with your business. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Danielle. Looking to elevate your brand without the headache? Join the co-op, our creative template shop membership. With thousands of easy to customize templates, all crafted to seamlessly fit your business aesthetics. We make nurturing leads and driving sales effortless. We're talking serious impact and seriously simple creation. Become a member now at creativeshopcoop.com and transform your business today. That's creativeshopcoop.com. Hey, a few quick favors before you leave. I'd love if you'd share today's episode, send it to a friend who needs to hear it and post on social. You can show us where you're listening from, your favorite takeaway, or why someone else should listen. Be sure to tag me at Abigail Says and at Boss Project so we can share it. Okay, second favor. To get podcast updates and all the behind-the-scenes news from Boss Project, I'd love if you'd join my VIP list. Just head to bossproject.com slash sign up to make sure I have all your contact details. Really love this show? It would mean so much to me if you'd leave a rating and review. It not only helps more listeners find the show but allows us to bring on quality sponsors so we can keep bringing you this valuable content for free. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time.